Dearly beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. The apostle here is praying for Timothy. Timothy's on his heart, greatly desiring to see thee, that being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. And when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or the genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. And we'll jump down to the 13th verse. That is rain and thunder and storms. But listen, I just came from an area that's gotten eight inches of rain the entire year, what you had in the month of August. So I welcome the rain. Let it rain. Hold fast the form of, 13th verse, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Notice that, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So in essence, he's saying, Timothy, what you've seen in me, hold on to, hold fast to it. That good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Second chapter, verses one and two. Thou, therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And once again, the things that thou hast heard of me, the things that you've seen, observed, they were close companions, they traveled together. Acts 16 records their journey beginning together. Uh, and Paul brought him on his missionary journey. And, and as they journeyed together, he, he's saying, Timothy, you've saw some things in my life. You walked with me. We went through ups and downs, highs and lows. We preached during uh, times when it was easy to preach. We preached when it was difficult to preach. We, we preached when people were parading us as heroes. We preached when we were being persecuted as villains. And he said, you've seen these things in me. And he said, so what you've seen in my life he said, uh, and, um, among many witnesses on multiple occasions and other places, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So in essence, the apostle says, Timothy, you've seen it in my life. It's working in your life, and now you need to share it with others. Let's go a little bit further, third chapter. This is a, a few verses we're going to read here. It's a very familiar passage to many of us because I have preached from it many times as your pastor. Tenth verse through the 17th, I'll read it quickly only for the sake of time. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Notice that. Their relationship was deep enough that he uh, is, is referring to what his doctrine. He's saying, Timothy, you know my doctrine, my teaching. You know how I live. They've walked together, served together close enough to develop a communion, a relationship. They don't, they're not just acquaintances. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? That he said, you've seen my manner of life. You know my purpose. You know what my heartbeat's all about. You know what moves me. You know what I'm grieved about. You know, you, know, you know what stirs me when I pray. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You know whether it's sincere or whether it is a hypocrisy. You know that it's genuine. He said, you've seen my long-suffering, my love, my patience. Persecutions and afflictions came to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra. These persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. How many of you thank God for his deliverance? Amen. And he said, yea, and all that will love godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm sure you are excited about verse number 12. But he's reminding Timothy, you've seen me go through persecutions, and guess what? If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution because evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But here, continue in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, who is he referencing here in this 14th verse? He's saying, be assured of the things that you have learned and of where you have learned them, of the source that you have learned them from. He say, Let's go back to the two times that he said the things that you have heard of me. The source that he's referencing here is Paul's own life. He's saying, you've learned some things in my, from me, and, and you know these things to be true, so keep them. Now, Paul wasn't the only source uh, of place that, or the source that, the, uh, that Timothy was to glean from. We already read that his mother and his grandmother had great influence upon his faith, but certainly did the apostle. 15th verse, from a child you have known the holy scriptures, for they are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And everybody said amen. Won't you stand up? We're going to conclude with reading a few verses in the fourth chapter here today. Again, we're just gleaning to just kind of snatch the heart out of this passage, this small epistle that the apostle writes to his own son in the faith. 
which is what is contained in the first chapter here as Paul exhorts him. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul is, in essence, giving him this charge that when he reads this, it will invigorate him to continue to do what God's called him to do. To do what? To preach the word. To be instant in season and out of season. In essence, to preach when you feel, about, feel like it and preach when you don't feel like it. Preach when it's acceptable, but preach when it's not acceptable. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For here's a warning Paul gives. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So Paul warned of a time even in his day when it was possible to have those that would scratch the ears of the saints but would not actually lead them to true correction and godly living. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. That will conclude our reading. I know it was rather lengthy, but it will set the context I want to speak to you today about. For I am now, as you can see this passage, the apostle, this is near the end of his life. He knows it. He's in a Roman jail cell. Uh, at one time, he, this is the second time of his imprisonment. The previous time, he believed in his heart he would be delivered and, dis, and, and set free, and he was. This time, God's already given him peace. He knows he'll not be delivered from this jail cell. He says here, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So Paul's speaking about his leg of the journey. And he knows that he's run his race faithfully. But even though it seems as this, this is a reference to a singular race with you were running by yourself, but in essence, what we are a part of the body of Christ is part of a giant relay race. We're a part of those that have gone in front of us, those that are coming after us. Come on, somebody. And so Paul here says, I've ran my part. I've ran my leg, my course. I didn't give up. I kept the faith. Therefore, it's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But not to me only, but to all them that also love is appearing. All those that will continue in faith, God's going to reward us one day. Amen. Ninth verse, this connects it all together. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So even though Paul is the aged apostle who is anticipating his leg uh, uh, of his journey, uh, you know, ending in heaven, he's still concerned about Timothy. He wants to make sure Timothy continues to run his course. And he wants to make sure that in Timothy, when he runs his course, that those that will come after Timothy will run their race, right? The things you've seen in me, he said, commit thou to faithful men, which will be able to teach others also. Well, I want to share with you from this title for just a moment. I'm going to start a series for the next few weeks of time. And it's under this context, averting crisis in the contemporary church. There's a lot that's said about the contemporary church, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, the rights, the wrongs, whether we are the light that we are to be to the, to, the, to the nations or whether or not we have fallen prey to apostasy. I believe we can be just as bright and as brilliant as any generation. I believe God will, not, I believe God will save the very best for last. Come on, sometimes you put the strongest you know, uh, runner on the last leg of the journey. Isn't that right? Of the relay. So I trust that God's going to do good things in our midst. So today, I'm going to begin by speaking a word to millennials, a word to millennials, and I'll explain that to you in a few moments. Father of heaven, I thank you for this privileged opportunity. I tag team with Joe's prayer already. Let preaching come easy in this house, and as easily as I can preach, let the people receive it, Father. James said that we can receive the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. For just a moment as a brief backdrop and just to create just a little bit of uh, explanation, I believe as a pastor, well, certainly one of my greatest responsibilities to you is to bring a word in season. That's what Paul just wrote to Timothy, a word in season. We believe in the prophetical word here at First Assembly of God. What I mean by that is we don't just teach from antiquated text. They may be ancient texts, but they're living epistles. Right, they're alive, and God will quicken a word. What we mean by quicken is it means he makes it alive. It's my belief God can share a word, even with me being a pastor that has a prophetical application. It means it's an unction. It's an anointing. It's not something that's been copied and pasted from sermon.com. It means that he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the church. 
before you are able to pray that prayer about what's being spoken in this room right now, I have to first have an ear to hear what the Lord would say to this church family. And I've prayed diligently, and I believe that I'm going to share with you over the next few weeks of time a word that is directly applicable to our church family. But I also believe that it's a part of a bigger picture because we're a part of a bigger picture. That I believe even though the word may not be heard all around the world, even though it's not going to be seen on TBN and not everybody around the world is going to be going to HebrewFirst.com, listen online, scrolling down through the archives of our sermon series. I understand that. But sometimes you just speak things in the spirit and you just let it alone. You let God take it. And wherever he wants to, come on, wherever he wants to deposit it, then that's where he's going to deposit it. Now, see, one of the factors that I believe that relates to the crisis, if there is such a thing, of the contemporary church, and there can be a crisis, but it can be averted, is our lack of understanding of the Scriptures. I do believe that in my heart. There's a lack of understanding. Now, you and I are exhorted in the Word of God to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have emphasized a lot of grace. I'm telling you, to really walk in the grace of God, you've got to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what understanding is. Understanding is when the Holy Spirit unlocks the knowledge that you have received and allows you to rightly discern and make application of that knowledge. It's not enough to just have the knowledge of the Scripture. You've got to have the understanding of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of all truth. That's why we pray for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. It's our belief that even the things of God can be veiled from us until God unlocks these things, lifts the veil, lifts the cover, reveals to us things that you can look at, read in the text. It's there all the time, but you didn't know it until the Holy Spirit quickens it and makes it alive to you. Now, I believe that spiritual leaders can be partially or primarily at fault for helping create this lack of understanding, especially as it relates to the millennials. And let me reference what I mean by, or clarify what I mean by millennials. I'm simply using the terminology that describes the distinction in the generations that are in the uh, American culture and certainly in the church. And I'm going to do something here for a moment. I'm going to quickly, we're going to do a little bit of a polling here for just a second of time. Let me tell you about the millennials for just a moment. Typically, the millennials are the men or the boys and girls, men and women, that were born from this particular age group right here, 1981 to 1997. Now, there's since this time a new generation that's in the earth called the I generation or the Z generation. But the millennials are those that are coming into adulthood or already into adulthood right now. The reason why there's a lot of attention given to the millennials in our generation is because in 2015, for the first time in American history, the millennials have become the largest populace in our culture. And they have exceeded the baby boomers now for the very first time, 2015, by approximately 1 million. And you're seeing all kinds of attention given to the millennials, especially as you are watching the voting block and the tug of war between Republicans and Democrats because they want that big voting block. Right? Well, all the go at home, and when you turn your television on and pay attention to the, uh, pay attention to the, the commercials and see who there are a lot of... Tar- I, know there's, I know there's a lot of things for a lot of uh, different people groups and but especially the shows the programs there's a big target there because it's a huge pool of people and let me take a moment of time i want to see this is a special group of people that god's put a word in my heart i am very concerned about millennials because all of my children fall in that age group right there Alyssa being born in 1997 Ashley being born in 1988. All of them fall in that age group. So I'm going to just identify, just for a moment of time, who here among us, who is a millennial? If you were born from 1981 to 1997, I'm going to take my glasses off because I want to see you. Would you stand up? Now, that's a great group of men and women right there, isn't it, church family? Let's give them an applause. Now, I'm going to be preaching to you today, but I'm going to be preaching through you, okay? Now, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, please, I've been gone. I've been in L.A. I'm L.A. Brown now. I was. I was L.A. Brown before I left. Lee Anthony. Never mind. 
Generation X, that's my generation, 1965 to 1980. Won't you stand up just real quickly? I want to see the, the demographics of our church family right here. Less in number than the millennials. Good folks. I didn't know if y'all would make it or not. I didn't know. Y'all barely made it. <laughs> barely made it. Sit down. All right. Thank you. Now, how about this group right here, the baby boom generation? This is from 1946 to 1964. The first group came as a result of the end of World War II. Look at this. A large group of baby boomers in our church family. And that's a broad group of almost 20 years. Thank you. The silent generation is from 1928 to 1945. These are the children of those that are uh, of the greatest generation. Is there, there's, surely there's some here today from 1928 to 1945. Let's just see a few that are still here. Thank you so much. That's a special generation. God bless you. And now, I don't know if we will have anybody that's a part of what was called the greatest generation. But the greatest generation are those that were born before 1928. And I know that Sister Lorraine Davis falls in that number, but she may not be here today. Is there anyone that was born right there? Brother Bob Carr right there. Yes. Oddly enough, the demographics of our church family coincide with the demographics of the United States, the two largest people groups that stood up just a moment ago were the millennials and the baby boomers. And then we Xers are in the middle. And we try to, sometimes we try to pull the two together. Sometimes it's a, it's a difficult task. The reason why I want to draw your attention to this for just a moment time is, and I'll share this with you in greater details, I believe the church is a family. And though we are oftentimes our, our, our distinct likes, dislikes, and our personalities have been shaped a little bit by the people groups of our culture. But when we come into the body of Christ, we are one big family. And we've got to value everybody. Come on, somebody. Value everybody. Now, let me take a minute. So I want to talk about the millennials. And I want to talk about because there's a lot of negativity towards the millennials because, listen to this, because records show, statistics show that they're vacating the church. Many are vacating the traditional church. Studies show that three out of 10 that, that have been raised up in, in youth groups across America, 10 years later, it's all that's going to still be left serving God through the local body of Christ. But seven will have been, for whatever reason, not necessarily walked away from their faith, but they're not connected to the local body of Christ. So there's a, a lot of attention that's been given uh, you know, upon them. And, and well, this is what I've noticed. Because it's in the heart of a lot of church leaders and pastors to connect to the millennial generation because we want to have younger folk in our church because it makes us a healthier church, right? It gives us a future. Are y'all with me, church family? And what I've observed is, this has been my observation from what I see sometimes on Christian television or when I've been given an opportunity to attend other churches that especially make a, 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 you know, a very intentional effort to target the younger generation. Here's what I've observed is that when doing so, oftentimes and, and their, their intention is to not overwhelm the younger generation with overtly biblical theology that sometimes they so water down the teaching and the preaching till the end result is akin to 1% milk. See, you don't bring 1% milk into the brown household. See, we, we want whole milk at our house. And, and see, the, the, oftentimes the preaching and to that culture, to that, that particular demographic of people, the preaching and the teaching is white and watery. What I mean by that is it's, it's without the substance. The Bible says that we are to desire sincerely the sincere milk of the Word of God, that we can grow thereby. And now what, here's where I get, I get, I struggle with that just a little bit. I struggle with this because, see, suppose, we're doing this supposedly for the sake, I want you to think about these millennials. For the sake of young adults who've gone to high school and many off to college where they've learned algebra, geometry, science and biology, psychology, some are pre-med students, some are engineers, all the while they're playing on sports teams where they open up a play card and they got 1,500 plays on their arm. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And while they have a laptop or a smartphone in their hand and they're searching the internet or they're posting on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, but we got a water theology down for them. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I, I don't think that's right. And so here's what often I've seen. So when we finally get some millennials in the church, number one, here's what's happening kind of as a movement across America. Number one, we cater to them. 
Now, I believe in reaching out to them because we need them. But I'm going to show you today, we don't need them at the expense of others. It shouldn't be one without the other. It should be both. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But here's what we do. By catering them, we, 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 we try not to overly preach to them because we don't want to overwhelm them. So what we do is we contemporize our teaching, preaching, till it doesn't feel like a sermon or a teaching at all, and rather it's just a life lesson. We mask it. We masquerade a biblical truth under the context of a life lesson. Therefore, what we've done is we've lowered the biblical literacy to the least educated among us rather than pulling them forward. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We have, in essence, dropped it down thinking that they can't be pulled upward. I believe they can be pulled upward. I've seen their gifts and their talents, and I know how gifted that they are. And so if they can learn, listen, if they can do all that stuff with a smartphone and all this technology, I'm telling they can learn the Word of God. They can, under, they can understand core truths of Scriptures. And so the end result in doing so is we have failed to expose the millennial to the glory of His grace that's revealed in the face of Jesus Christ that comes from the Word of God. That's what we've done. We've robbed them of the glory of the grace of God as they learn to meditate and study and hide the Word of God in their hearts. So I've been praying for you millennials, and, 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 I, and I, I want you to be such a vibrant part. I'm so proud of the millennials that are part of our church family. I'm seeing them come out of youth group and get their own families, and that's exciting. I love to see my own children grow, grow and go. Now, that last one going was difficult, I will be honest. But to see them grow and go, and I saw my children get married and become responsible adults and have jobs, are you hearing what I'm saying, and taking care of their families and going to church on their own, I'll tell you what, I love to see that. I love to see the maturation of young men and young ladies' faith. I mean, it stirs my heart. And so I got a word to the millennials today, okay? So millennials, all you, that great group of men and women that stood up a few moments ago, young men and young ladies that are such a vibrant part of our church family. You are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today, right? You are, and we are so grateful that you are a part of our fellowship. Come on, somebody. Let's give them an applause. We are. But Pastor Brown's got a few words of encouragement. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy... He's, and, and Timothy was a young man. I'm going to allude to that in a few moments. But he said, the things that you've seen in me, I want you to commit to faithful men and women who'll be able to teach others also. And so I'm going to speak to the millennials because they're running this race with us. Man, they're running, but they, they, they're going to have others that come behind them. And they want to, even some of them are parents themselves. And they've got children and they want to make sure that they're bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So I'm going to give you just a few nuggets. I'm going to drop these down in your heart today, and I'm going to speak them to you today for just a moment. Number one, as simple as this may sound, but get yourself a Bible yeah. with pages <laughs> and a cover yes. and that you can hear it crackle yes, and you can mark in it and you can write in it. And when you pray, you can hold it right here and you can call upon the name of God. And when you're praying for your family, you can write down little nuggets. And when the pastor is preaching, you can just write down a little word right there. And you can think about it. And, and you can turn from right here. And you can just feel because memorization and, and muscle memory and, and your subconsciousness is remembering all of that as you, as you hide it. And, and you become familiar with it. And I want to encourage you in this, millennials. I know that we all use personal electronic devices, but use them sparingly. Use them sparingly and use them primarily for study. I believe in the blue letter Bible. Man, there's a lot of things available at our fingertips. We don't have to have volumes of books on our bookshelves to have commentaries and resource materials. And that's a great thing. But I'm telling you, in all that, you can get lost sometimes. And you don't even know how to just take the word of God and just walk and pray and call upon the name of the Lord and let the spirit of God speak a word to your heart out of the word of God. Hide thy word, the psalmist said. How shall a young man cleanse his way? The psalmist said, by hiding thy word in my heart. Hide thy word in your heart and you'll not sin against the Lord. Be familiar. Paul said to Timothy, from a child, you've known these holy scriptures. You know, I didn't know a lot of verses of the scripture. I didn't know a lot of the Bible verses was a young child from, the, from when I was first saved at eight until I was 17. But when I was 17, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I began to have a desire in my heart for the word of God. 
And I began to passionately pursue the Word of God. And I began to read the Scriptures and meditate upon the Scriptures and keep a personal copy of the New Testament. I had a Gideon Bible with me when I was in the military, and I kept it with me almost all the time in my little side pouch right here. So when I got time alone, I could reach in my pocket and I could pull out the Scriptures and read and meditate upon it. I would read the Gospels. I would read the Epistles. I would read it from the King James Bible. I'd read it from the Amplified Bible. I'd think about it and ponder it and pray and meditate upon it. And I didn't go to seminary and I didn't go to Bible college, but God still gave me understanding because I set my heart to know God. And I set my heart after the word. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that, that we live by every word that proceeded forth out of the mouth of God. The word scripture means script. God will write it. He wrote it on this book. He'll write it on the tablet of your heart if you'll let him do so. Now, I want to encourage you in this. You just, this is just personal real quickly. I use the King James Version. I know that most of you do not, and, and some of you, uh, that, that's more difficult for you. I use either the King James or the New King James for two reasons. Number one, the safety of the error of the translators. It was translated, the King James Version was translated before we had denominations. So before denominations had the opportunity to influence the translation. That's why I go with them. Number two, I don't want to accidentally get the Queen James Version. Let me just move on from there, right there. Uh, but I also, n number two, or that was number two, this is number three, the poetic flow of the Old English. Studies have shown that memorization comes easier in reading the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm telling you, when I'm facing the devil, I don't want to have to pull the concordance out. I want a word that's been hidden in my heart that can just flow up and bubble up. We sang it a moment ago. God will surround me by songs of deliverance. And the Holy Spirit will write those on your heart. So I encourage you, millennials, get yourself a Bible, a real Bible. Yes, the B-I-B-L-E. It's still the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Come on, somebody. Amen. Number two, I'm going to help the millennials here today. Number two, remember this. Read the epistles. I know you think the epistles are companions to the apostles. The word epistle simply means a letter. Let me explain what I mean to you very quickly today. Definitely you want to read the Old and the New Testament. Yes. You want to read the Gospels. You want to walk with Jesus. I'll allude to that in a moment. But let me tell you where growth and understanding comes from. It comes from reading the epistles. The epistles are the letters to the church. Paul the apostle, I write to you Corinthians. Paul the apostle, I write to you Galatians. Paul the apostle, I write to you Ephesians. If he was writing in our generation, he'd say, I would write to you Hebrides. That's what God, that's what we would receive an epistle. If Paul was living today, he would write to us. Let me take you a moment and, and explain to you what I mean by this. For growth and understanding comes through the epistles. Listen very carefully. This is very important. Millennials, please catch this. Number one, Christ was veiled in the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you will see Christ, but he's veiled. He was in a garden called Eden when God slew an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And from that sacrifice came a covering or a propitiation or an atonement for sin. He was in the Old Testament as a Passover lamb. He was in the Old Testament as Melchizedek, the priest. He was in the Old Testament as Isaac laid on the altar with Abraham ready to take his life because he would not spare his only son. He was in the Old Testament as Moses. He was in the Old Testament as a serpent on a pole. He was in the Old Testament as Samson. He was in the Old Testament as David. He was in the Old Testament as Jonah for as Jonah was three days and three nights. In the heart of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he was veiled. In the New Testament, he was unveiled. He came to us in miracles. He came to us doing things that no man had ever did. Never before had it ever been written about a man that walked on the water. Never before had it been written about a man that calmed the sea. Come on. Never before had it been written about a man that called out to men that were dead four days in a burial chamber. And when Lazarus heard his voice, they got up and walked out, bound hand and feet with grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. No wonder John wrote when he concluded his gospel. He said, if we were to attempt to write down everything that he did and put it in a book, the world could not contain the volume of books that would be written but he said this but these are written these four gospel writers captured snapshots pictures instagrams if you will of jesus's life so that reading you would hear you would read 
and you would see him in his glory. A picture of who Jesus was. But let me tell you about what Paul said. I think we're going to post this on the screen. About the epistles. Listen to this. Third chapter of Ephesians, the first verse. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, you were... He said, it's given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a foreign few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he said, listen, now remember this. Even though Jesus' disciples walked with him for three and a half years, even though they saw him, John would say, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. But they did not always understand. They didn't. You know that from reading the Gospels. Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter, concludes with Jesus reproving them for their lack of understanding, opening their understanding so they could see through the gospel. Sometimes your understanding is hindered. But Paul said, look at this. He said, but when you read, you may understand my knowledge. There it is again. Come on, here's the apostle. By revelation, he made known unto me. And now when you read, you can understand my what? My knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look at this fifth verse. I want to read it there with you for just a moment if we can. Which in other ages it was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now look, he's about to open a treasure house in this next verse right here. He's saying this is what other men wanted to see and couldn't see, wanted to hear and couldn't hear. Maybe they saw, maybe they heard, but they couldn't understand. He said, but when you read now, as I write this letter to you, Ephesians, he said, may the Lord that gave me the revelation open the eyes of your understanding that you too can see what I see. I'm telling you, that's when there'll be a transformation. That's when the millennials within the church will be transformed, when they can see Oh, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. Listen, I'll tell you, I can remember when my daughter Ashley, when a change was worked in her life. It was when God gave her the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And when he did, he opened her understanding to the word of God, and it transformed her life. And in essence, what happened, what God had allowed me to see, she saw. And so Paul is saying this. It was not known to the other generations. Look at this sixth verse right here. I love this sixth verse. It says that the Gentiles, that was everyone not born of the natural lineage of Abraham, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise by Christ in the gospel. What he's saying is, is even though you were not born of the natural lineage of Abraham, if you will understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a fellow citizen with the saint and you are of the household of God and all the blessings of God that will belong to the children of Israel they belong to you I'm telling you when your children if you're blessed see that you're blessed and then begin to understand that blessing and how it works and they begin to walk in that blessing transformation takes place Paul is saying I understand it because he showed it to me I'm writing it so that when you read it you can understand it as well so meditate upon those epistles come on You say, Pastor, I don't understand them. Then pray over them. Read and meditate. Take just little pictures. Think about it and contemplate it until you get it down. You know, I didn't play football. I played basketball, but my sons played football. And I can remember in football season when they didn't run the play right, we ran it again. When they didn't run the play right in practice, we ran it again. If you don't understand it, read it again. If you don't know what you're, pray over it. God opened my heart. Number three, get a mentor. I'm speaking to the millennials in here today. Get a mentor. Connect with somebody that's older. Let me just tell you this. I, you know, from my generation, 30 years ago, I would put this. I don't know if it's the case. Back in those days, we'd say, well, I'm not talking about somebody hanging out at the skating rink. That cannot be your mentor. Where do kids hang out today? My kids were athletes, so they hung out at the gym. Where, where do they hang out at? Sonic, that's the best we have. That's not bad. Maybe the Walmart parking lot. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about as your mentor. I'm talking about connecting with somebody older. That's a two-way street. You got to reach up and they got to reach down. Right? It shouldn't be one without the other. Moses had Joshua. Elijah had Elisha. Come on. Naomi had Ruth. Samuel had David. 
Elizabeth had Mary, and Paul had Timothy. You need a mentor. You need somebody in your life that you connect to. But listen to this. Don't only connect with them, but submit to them. Now listen, that's one of the key ingredients to this thing working right. But we're not teaching it to the millennials the way I believe that we should. Look at this verse of Scripture. I think we're going to put it on the screen. 1 Peter 5 and 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now listen, I want to say this to the millennials. This is the bombshell moment for you. We're not going to make church all about you. We love you with all of our heart. We don't want you at another church. We want you at this church. But we don't want you to grow up conceited, self-centered, where it's all about you. And we haven't taught you how to serve others. How the Bible says you're to prefer others above your own self. That's the biblical way. See, I believe we can attract and retain the millennial generation without cutting off the other generations in the church. I believe that. See, I do believe that we should angle our facilities, which we have done. We've angled the facilities in our format of our services towards the younger generation. But we did not do so at the expense of totally detaching, ostracizing, or disengaging, or devaluing the other older generations. Now, I've been to some churches where they have done that. Well, there is no grandma and grandpa. There is no aunts. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? Aunt Susie and Uncle Joe. There's not. There's only your peers. That's an unhealthy environment. That's not the, 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 the design of God. We've read too many passages of Scripture here today where Paul said, the things you've seen in me, I'm your aged father in the Lord. And he said, the things you've seen in me, you've got to commit to others at all, uh, as well. So there are multiple generations in this church that are still viable and they're functioning before God. Listen, Sister Lorraine and Brother Bob, where the, Lorraine was not, is not here today, Brother Bob is the only one that stood, and that's a part of the greatest generation. They're still just as much a part of this church as anybody else. They're still active. They're still serving God. They're still praying. They're still giving. They're still reading. They're still worshiping. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? They're still connecting to others. We are a family. Everyone has value, and everybody can bring something to the tables, to the table. To the millennial, to the I, or to the Z generation, let me say this the best way I know how. You do not know it all just yet. Hello? Now, do I sound like a father with six children that all fall in this, gen this generation? Listen, the best sermons I've ever given have never fallen on this church family's ears. The best instruction I have ever given, the best counsel I've ever given has never fallen on your ears. But let me say this, you don't know it all. The reality is you don't know that much. But you're learning, and you need the encouragement. You need the advice. You know what will help you in life? Ask for that advice before the crisis. Don't get in the middle of it. Have all hell broke. Now, still ask for it then because it's not too late. But I'll tell you what will save you. A lot of trouble in your life. Listen, millennial, you stood up. You were the second or maybe probably the biggest populace. I was so proud. That, one, that is exciting. That means first assembly's got a future, right? And so you were the, perhaps the biggest populace that stood up a while ago. You need the men and women. That meant every other generation is above you in the Lord in this essence of age and sometimes of maturation of faith. And you need them and you need us. You need the wisdom and the strength and the support of these generations. Come on, church, let me know I'm preaching right here today. Number four, there's only five, and I'm going to close. Flee youthful lusts. Well, now it's getting really excited. I didn't hear any millennials say, yeah, preach, I feel you right there. So I don't even know how to shout, but I'm going to shout that when I didn't hear that. Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, who apparently is a young man. How do we know that? He told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. But he challenges. I want the, the millennials to listen to me very carefully. Please listen. I'm almost finished today. Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers. You can be an example. You can. You can stand out. You can stand out among us. You can have an anointing in the midst of your brethren. But it, to do so, and I know that should not be your motive to stand out in that sense, Paul said this, flee youthful lust. Now listen, he didn't say that to an old man. He, as an aged man, wrote it to a young man. 
And he told a young man to flee youthful us. Now, you say, well, Pastor Brown, is that applicable? Yes, that's applicable to you. The millennials that I'm preaching here today, let me tell you, listen very carefully. Listen, a trap has been set for you by our culture in America. Come on now. I'm telling the truth in here. Listen, our culture, the world system has targeted you. Now, here's where I'm going to sympathize with you and the other saints in this room need to sympathize with you because here's the truth right here. It is more difficult to live a chaste, pure, holy life and lifestyle in this generation than in any other time in American history. Not in world history, but in American history. Because your culture has been so influenced by the media, by Hollywood, by the entertainment industry, by pornography. Come on, I'm telling the truth. Access to drugs and alcohol. The open sexuality of this generation creates a pull for you to discard marriage and yet satisfy your sexual desires through fornication or cohabitation. So, Pastor, I don't even know what fornication is. Well, look it up. That's how you'll learn. And then you won't forget. So, let me say this real quickly. To the very young men of his generation, Paul said, flee youthful us. No mincing words. No trying to disguise it like we do in our generation, you know, because we don't want to offend the millennials because we want them to come to church. He doesn't try. He just says, listen, flee youthful lust. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? No making excuses. No watering down of the doctrine. Guess what? I'm calling the millennials out. I'm calling them out to be separate. I'm calling them out to walk differently. I'm calling them out to watch different shows than your peers. I'm calling them out to listen to different music than your peers. I'm calling them out to make better decisions about who you're hanging out with. I'm talking to you today, millennials. You can be called out of God. You can have an anointing upon your life. You can be distinct. God can favor you. The blessing of God can find you as a young 20-something single. You can walk in the blessing of God. You may be 28 years old, newly married, two children. God can bless your family your house and your household how when you walk faithfully before him but in order to walk faithfully for him you got to flee youthful lust come on you got to flee you got to do things differently you got to be like daniel when daniel was a young man confronted with living you know an apostate lifestyle he chose to just eat beans he said give me beans i'm not eating from the king's table the king's trying to serve us up something that you can serve god and still live this illicit sensual lifestyle i'm telling you that's a contrast of two different positions of faith. God wants you holy. Flee youthful lust. Let me share this with you as I close. Titus 2 says this, and I'm, before we read this, the grace of God, listen to this, millennium. I'm almost finished. One more page of notes. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That means you. Now, you're interested in God, or you wouldn't be here today. You want to know about God. Are y'all with me, millennials? Now, let, let me tell you what will help you in church. Learn to talk back to the preacher. Come on, just, just, just join in here. Don't be a part of the quiet saints. You know, there's always quiet saints. Listen, come on, give me a little feedback here. It'll help me. Where's some of the ladies that went to the women's conference? They ought to be shouting. Right now, they ought to be running right now. Yeah, there ought to be some movement in here today. Are y'all hearing me today? She's in the nursery today. Yeah, she's really thankful for what we got going on right here now. But just So let me just tell you real quickly about this. The grace of God that you've received, it's, a, it's, it's appeared to all men. And here's what it will do. 12th verse. Let's look at it. Here's what it will do for you, young adult. It will teach you that you can deny ungodliness and where you can be different. You can be in the midst of a crooked and a wicked world and you can be uninfluenced or not influenced by them. You can be the influencer. You can be a light that penetrates into the darkness. You can live soberly, righteously, and godly. When? When? Right now. Now is your time. Now is your time to shine for the glory of God. Now is your time to be all that God's called you to be, to walk in holiness and righteousness, to raise up your family and your children. If you're married, you want to have a godly marriage. If you've got children, you want your young children to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. If you're single, you're waiting on the right man or the right woman, then Jesus is your husband right now. Jesus is your wife until God brings you a spouse. You just love him and grow in the grace of God. Grow in the grace of God. In 1 Peter, I won't read all of it, but Peter said there may come a time, I won't even read all of it, that you can't run with them any longer. 
you got to make some changes. It's not easy. The lure of the world is strong. But I'm telling you, you can overcome. We can avert crisis in the contemporary church if you overcome. Can't we? Well, we don't have to be a part of the statistic. You can be a revivalist. You can start inviting your friends to the house of God. You can start praying with them. You can start calling upon the name of Jesus. But they need to see something distinct in you. You can't be hypocritical. You can't be doing what they're doing and then trying to preach to them about what they're doing. Oh, no. Did y'all hear what I'm saying? Listen, you can't. You've got to make up your mind. Are you going to serve God and follow God? I will love you enough to confront you with the truth. Make a decision for Jesus. Be distinct. Be called out. That's who you are. He called you out, pulled you out, set you apart for the glory of God. Last thing today, number five, 12 o'clock on the nose. Take the baton, but don't drop it. Take the baton, but don't drop it. In a relay race, the critical moment is the moment of exchange. It's the moment of exchange. Now, let me share this with you. As one runner nears the end of their, le- their, their race, the other runner has already started theirs. You know, that's what happens in church all the time. That's what happens in life in the kingdom of God. The epistle that we read, one runner was nearing the end. Timothy was just getting going. Right? And a moment of exchange. That's what he said, come to me quickly. They had already been running together, but he knew this was his final moment. He said, come to me quickly. See, as the new runner, here's what you have to do. You have to look ahead. You do have to look ahead. Isn't that right? You know, you got to look ahead. And, and, you know, when you're young, you're always thinking about your future. If you're single, you're thinking about your spouse. Are you all with me? You're thinking about your career. You're thinking about what life's going to look like in, the fr- in front of you. Sometimes when you get older, you think about what life used to be like. Is that true? Yeah. Right? I'm telling the truth. And so, but, so the younger, yeah, you got to keep looking ahead. That's the right thing. But the thing that you got to do while you look ahead is you got to reach back. Because there's a generation that's behind you that's got some things you need. We got some things you need. You do. And listen, you know what you need? You got to have genuine faith. Aaron, join me on the platform. We're closing right now. Listen very quickly. Listen, you have to have genuine faith. Because listen, without it, what I mean by genuine faith, I'm talking about sincere, pure, holy faith in God through Christ Jesus, where you've sold yourself out. We sang it a moment ago, I lay me down. I lay me down. Sincere faith lays himself on the altar. Lord, I present myself unto you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in thy sight, O God. Sincere faith is a belief in Christ. Sincere faith is a recognition that you could not save yourself, but that you were a sinner because all had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sincere faith recognizes that all the good works of human effort added together would still leave the equation lacking in the ability to make the exchange of righteousness before God. So God tilted the scale on our behalf by adding mercy to it. That mercy was Jesus' death on the cross. That mercy was when he cried out before God and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the grace that flows from mercy is the grace that empowers you to be the person God's called you to be. Young adult, I'm speaking to you today. Speaking to you. You can be who God's called you to be. It may be difficult. It may be a challenge. But you need genuine faith. Faith that doesn't give up. Faith that's not just, you know... You know, it's just not the hot faith. I mean, what I mean by that is when everything's good, you're on fire for God. And then when everything's a challenge, you're running from God or you're angry at God or you're frustrated at church. That's not the way God wants you to live. God wants you to be sold out for him and to him. Now, listen, Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, he said, the genuine faith that's in you was in your grandmother first and is in your mama also. And he said, now I'm persuaded it's in your hand as well. See, in a relay, when that runner reaches with the baton reaches forward 
and the runner uh, that's to gain it must reach back, that special moment of exchange takes place. It's a critical moment. And for a brief moment, for a brief moment, both runners are actually running together. Now, in a race, it's a millisecond. If there is such a thing as a millisecond. It's a millisecond. But in life, it can be years that you're running together. You and others around you, your mentors, those that love you, we're running together. Listen, you need the momentum that we've brought to you. And we need you to go to limits that we were not able to go to. Come on, son. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Please don't get bored on me. I want to finish strong. Paul said, let's finish this thing strong. So listen to this. We cannot drop the baton of genuine faith. Because if we do, I believe the millennials will continue to run, but they won't have the most essential thing. That's the baton, which is genuine faith. You can have the greatest talent, the greatest skill set, but if you don't have genuine faith, then you'll be disqualified. You can outrun everybody on the track, but if you don't have the baton, you don't get recognized in God's kingdom. That's genuine faith. Now listen, I'm speaking to the millennial, and I'm speaking first to the others. We cannot let go too early, and you can't rest it away too quickly. I grieve when I see churches that let go way too early, gave up, just gave up, don't even try any longer, don't even try to reach out to young adults, don't even try, don't want them, you know, because unyielding, unwilling to, to, to bend and somehow make it work, that grieves my heart, but I get just as grieved when I see younger generations snatch it away and act like they don't need the ones that laid the foundation for them, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, and so that's a special moment right there when that baton is passed. When we hold it together collectively, we become the people that God's called us to be. So once you receive it, there may come a moment when your mentors pass away or the generation X passes away. We're immediately preceding you. But you're not alone. You're going to be running in the strength of the momentum from the previous generations. You're going to be be running in all the strength of the prayers of every person that's ever gone on before you. Every time a pastor has laid hands on you and prayed for you, every time a loved one or a family member has loved you and prayed for you, you're going to go forward and be who God's called you to be, going in their strength. Y'all stand up with me today. Now, here's the reality. Those behind you are still running. We may be just a little bit slower. Are y'all hearing me? But we're still running. And we're cheering you forward. Now, I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to stretch the millennials. They, they go, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, why did I go today? All the millennials come to the front, if you would. Just come. Come on. 